Charles here. Welcome to the 98th episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Woods. On today's episode of the podcast, I talk with members of the Council for Programs in Technical and Scientific Communication, CPTSC, Graduate Student Committee. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind everyone not to forget to submit your nominations for the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Award. To nominate someone for the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Award, submit an email with your name, institutional affiliation, a 200-word bio, and CV as a single PDF to thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. Explain in the 200-word bio how you or your nominee meet the criteria for the award. Use the subject line, Emerging Scholar Award. Nominations are accepted until May 31st, 2022. Self-nominations are welcome, and previous nominees are encouraged to apply. For more information about the TBR Podcast Emerging Scholar Award, please reach out to the podcast at thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. Com, or visit the Big Rhetorical Podcast website, thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. I want to thank everyone who has donated so far to the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Award, but we need more help. Please go to our Twitter page, at the Big Ret, and view our pinned tweet, and donate to our fundraiser if you can. Remember, everything you give to us, we give back to graduate students. On today's episode of the podcast, I talk with members of the Council for Programs in Technical and Scientific Communication Graduate Student Committee, including Morgan Banville. We were seeing a lot of thematic overlap with our experiences, and we're like, people need to know about this. Caitlin Davis. Our reasons for writing this article are very personal and have come out of the experiences that we've had. And some of them we reference a little bit and wish we could say, you know, wish we could say more. But that's kind of just more evidence of the situation that we find ourselves in as graduate students. Emily Gresbrink. I see complaining or complaint as not only an act of catharsis, something that's very necessary. But I see it as almost an act of survival for graduate students in a way. Elena Kalodner Martin. I think too that we want to participate in efforts to move conversations about what justice and equity and technical communication looks like beyond the inclusion, but more just like genuine actual like equity and representation and making sure that we're engaging in these very active efforts to to advocate for people. And Magali Das. My goal about writing this this particular section was to express solidarity with my fellow graduate students who are going through maybe other precarious conditions, but also lay some light on some of the issues that international students face. Specifically, we focus on their piece in programmatic perspectives called identity, agency, and precarity, considerations of graduate students in technical communication. In this piece, the authors explore graduate students' precarity and helps us consider issues of labor, citizenship, risk, and oppression, drawing attention to the conditions that shape graduate student existence. I hope you enjoy the interview. Who are you? What's your name? your title and your institution and your role there. What do you, who are you and what do you do? Uh, My name is Caitlin Davis and um, I am a, in my last semester, so my fifth year of uh, the rhetoric and scientific and technical communication program at the University of Minnesota. Um, And so I'm a graduate student. I also work as a um, research assistant 
for our department's technical communication advisory board. And I work as an intern, um, a technical writing intern for a software company. My name is Emily Gressbrink. I am a third year PhD student at the University of Minnesota as well. Um, I teach in the writing studies department along with Caitlin. I've taught first year writing and technical communication. Um, currently, I'm also a TA for a medical humanities course. And sometimes I also TA over in the Humphrey School of, yeah, over on the West Bank, if you've ever been to the University of Minnesota. So sometimes I help out over there as well. So I'm all over the place. But yeah, my home's at the U of M. I'm Elena Kalabner-Martin. I'm a PhD candidate in rhetoric and composition at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, and I'm also a graduate teaching associate um, in our professional writing and technical communication program over in the English department and also in the College of Informatics and Computer Sciences. Hello, everyone. My name is Meghali Das. I am a PhD candidate in technical communication and rhetoric at Texas Tech University. Uh, I'm also a graduate instructor of first year writing and technical writing courses. And uh, currently I am one of the assistant directors of first year writing. Hello everyone. My name is Morgan Banville. I'm a third year PhD student at East Carolina University in the rhetoric writing and professional communication department. Um, I'm currently teaching scientific writing and business writing this semester. Um, and I am the co-chair of the CPTSC GSE with Caitlin over here. So we are very excited to chat more about that today. C-P-T-S-C-G-S-C. The Council for Programs in Scientific and Technical Communication Graduate Student Committee. That is who you all are. Uh, that is who you are a part of. And you're here to talk about your tremendous article, Identity, Agency, and Precarity, Considerations of Graduate Students in Technical Communications. Before we get into this, well done, and congratulations on this piece. We're gonna talk about the piece, but let's first talk a little about the organization, the graduate student uh, or part of this organization. How did this come to be? Right? How did the CPTSC GSC come to be? And what are some of your goals? Yeah, so um, the CPTSC GSC, which is a mouthful to say, so I might just say GSC, um, really came about years ago and was something um, that was the, an idea uh, that another um, person in the program here at University of Minnesota had been working on with a couple of others um, and was at the point where they um, didn't have time anymore to continue working on it. So myself and um, another one of our members um, who served as co-chair um, prior to Morgan, her name's Danielle Stambler, uh, her and I worked together to kind of build up um, the GSC. And really the, the goal behind that was to create an organization for graduate students in technical communication. We knew that there were organizations like that for graduate students outside of, of TechCom. So like WPA Go, for instance, really big one. Um, but we wanted to create something kind of like that in our field um, for us to connect with other grad students. And so Danielle and I worked with uh, some of the members of CBTSC, the executive committee members to get started on that. And we you know, surveyed graduate students across the field to see if it was something they were interested in and definitely was, was something they were interested in. Um, and so we put together like a proposal and I think the, the GSC became official in October of 2019. So right before the pandemic. Um, and then we had, they had a challenge of kind of organizing that while being remote, but has worked out really well. So um, it's, it's kind of built up over time um, and we've got a great group now, um, but our overall goals are really just to advocate for grad students um, in any way that we can to build up community, um, different spaces for graduate students to just um, be heard or share any, anything that they're going through. We do have 
four uh, subcommittees within our committee. So we have a professionalization uh, subcommittee that's really focused on um, creating maybe in the future, something like a mentor program for graduate students or different ways for graduate students to kind of um, grow into professional careers, whatever they choose. Emily's actually been a part of that. Um, we have a, I'm trying to think, our writing support subcommittee, which has been really great. Um, our, one of our members, Evelyn, she's not here today, but she has done awesome work putting together um, meetings for, uh, everyone to join, work on writing, come together and just share what they've been, what they've been working on. Um, we also have an outreach committee, which Elena and I and Danielle in the past worked on um, just to try to make sure that others know about the GSC um, and to share any events and things that we've been working on. Um, and then we have a space making subcommittee, which is focused on um, creating space for graduate students who might be multiply marginalized um, or underrepresented in some way. And so um, that is probably one of our committees where we really want to focus on um, doing some work. And we have some plans uh, behind the scenes trying to get that subcommittee up and moving a little bit more. But but yeah, that's kind of our loose structure and, and our you know general goals. I want to know more about the writing support subcommittee. And the work that they're doing. Well, how, if if folks, graduate students, right, wanted to join you, and perhaps they needed writing support, what what kind of things do you do to support graduate students in that way? Yeah, like Caitlin was saying, we have a wonderful member who has been kind of spearheading the writing support committee um, at least this semester. Every Thursday and Friday, um, we've been meeting within this platform called Gather Uptown, I believe is what the full title is, or it could just be Gather, and I might have just added Uptown to it. Um, who knows? Um, but <laughs> we have been meeting there, and um, every Thursday or Friday, whoever is available during that time will come in and we'll chat about our writing goals. And then at the end of the day, um, since we all are in um, different time zones, we have a Discord channel that we post you know, our um, accountability and did we get these goals accomplished? And it's nice to have somebody um, outside of the space to say, hey, you know, you said you were going to get this revision done. Did you do that today? Have that little accountability. Um, and we do have some writing support goals that we are looking to continue and or start with this um, upcoming, I would say, new uh, academic year, perhaps, um, where we are creating a repository of sample documents for other graduate students. Um, so that is something that we are in the works with. When we initially started the GSC, we did have three co-chairs. So it was Danielle Stambler and I, and also Veronica Garrison Joyner, I believe I might be saying her name wrong, um, but she she was actually the one who proposed the um, space making uh, subcommittee. And she had to kind of take a step back for a lot of reasons, you know, we're all super busy, but I wanted to make sure I acknowledge the work that she played too in helping us kind of get the GSC up and running. Um, she was, she's, was great. I think besides just writing support too, um, talking about the general support that we have is really important. Um, that's what drew me in and also what kept me um, over this time. Uh, and I know that so many of us feel very similar, um, just having a space outside of the immediate institution, I think is really important. Um, and we recognize too, that not all um, graduate students do have um, a safe space within their cohorts. So we do try to make a community um, outside of our immediate areas. That's really interesting, Morgan, and it's it's something I've been as I've been taking some notes. I want to know more about you know how the how and why, right? Like, why, why? How did you get involved in this organization? Like, how, why this organization? You know, which seems to be doing some incredible work. I actually got involved. I think I I think I messaged Caitlin and Danielle, and I said, "Hey, I saw you know on social media. I think I think it was Twitter." 
that there's this GSC and y'all are connecting graduate students who are doing technical communication work. And I come from an institution that has a really strong graduate community, but not necessarily a strong technical communication community. And I was really interested in connecting with other graduate students, learning from them, you know, making new friendships, having the kind of support that we've built for each other. And I kind of messaged them and said, hey, can I get involved? Um, and they were very welcoming. And I think we've just kind of kept that going and been reaching out to people and recruiting new members and stuff like that. So for me, it was really the opportunity to talk to other people, learn from other people um, and build something that I could kind of like have outside of just my university. Yeah, same for me. I saw um, on Twitter that there was going to be this meeting and I thought this was a great opportunity for me to contact some of uh, other people in my field who are not in my university because this was a time when you know those conferences were not happening where you might have run into other uh, students uh, in your field and also there was a lot of social isolation also at that point and I just wanted to uh, just see what this was about and it was a really good space to not just talk about work but also everybody was at different stages in the program so there were some people who were almost graduating and we still have that now so just to get that perspective uh, get a little bit of community and also meet other people in your field and that's why I started and I kept going on to these meetings and uh, we have you know written this article so uh, this was a great way to contact and network. I came around in 2019 I was at the first a GSC meeting, but for me, I I'd been to CPTSC's conference before then, so like I kind of knew the organization. There's like, okay, they have a graduate student organization, that's cool. But for me, it was like starting over because I had just joined the PhD program at the U of M, but I didn't know anybody because I was switching from a different track. I was going from the MS track to the PhD track, so everybody I had known from my master's program was gone. So I was like. I have to make all new friends again. So I was like, maybe this will be a good way to know everybody that had been an MA student that I didn't really know and to meet the new PhD students that were coming in. So for me, it was like a really grounding kind of way to like meet new people who were in my program and also like at other programs too. So it's been like a huge constant for me for the past few years. It's been awesome. There are tons of graduate students that listen to the podcast, that sounded egotistical. I didn't mean for it to sound like that. The important question is, where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you? How can they get involved as you grow? I will say one of the things that we've been doing as part of the outreach committee is being really active on Twitter. So our Twitter handle is cptsc underscore gsc. And we do a lot of like promoting other graduate students' work. And that's a great way to get connected, start following us. You can DM us for information about joining our Gather Town or getting involved with our Discord community, though I'm sure other people can kind of speak to that as well. But we've been doing a lot of recruiting on that platform, and it's been really helpful so far just because there are so many people who are graduate students, who are academics, who are really active on Twitter. And that's, I think, been a great way for us to kind of tap into some conversations, but also let other people tap into our conversations as well. Yeah, I would say too, you know, Elena's been doing great, awesome work on social media, on Twitter. I also, I like to think that I would love to be doing that work, but have been so busy, but Elena's been doing great. And we get a lot of, um, I think, interaction there and interest there. And we've got a lot of our, some of our new uh, people have joined our Discord. We've um, gotten from Twitter. Um, so we're really active there, I think most of us on Twitter. Um, and so, I mean, one of our big goals for this coming year is to focus on getting the word out about the GSC um, and seeing if we can't get more graduate students involved, even if they you know, just want to join to be a part of our community, part of our Discord community. Discord has been really awesome, I think, for, for a lot of us. Um, uh, we've got a great, great community there where we jump in and share goals for the week or just kind of commiserate or ask questions. Um, lots of awesome stuff going on there, but we, you know, graduate students can join to do that. They, they can also get involved in a more official way if they want to and working with subcommittees. Um, but 
really it's just about us have, having this space for grad students, whatever they, however they want to get involved, whatever that looks like for them, um, whatever they can do. Um, so yeah. The title of your piece, Identity, Agency, and Precarity, Considerations of Graduate Students in Technical Communication. When and why did you decide that you needed to take the work you were doing in these digital spaces, the support you were providing to graduate students who, like Emily said, maybe was starting a program and didn't know anyone. When did you decide that you needed to take the work you were doing and write it down and get it published? We're all looking like, I have no idea when, but we do know why and how. <laughs> why and how then? Because when isn't even a question in the pandemic. <laughs> no, time is a construct. I think at least for myself, just having conversations within the GSC, we were seeing a lot of thematic overlap with our experiences. Um, and we're like, people need to know about this. But also we recognize the very precarious positions that we reside in as both graduate students and instructors. And so we're like, all right, how do we approach this in the best way that is cognizant of the vulnerabilities that we each have and then collectively? Um, it took a lot of brainstorming, putting down the topics and themes that we did wanna talk about um, and then further taking away some of the more personalized stories and looking at it holistically as far as how could this um, topic or idea connect to people across institutions. I, I think too, going off of what Morgan said, and I think Charles, you said it too, and I hate, see, I hate saying the word, but I think one of the exigencies that brought this on was the pandemic. Exigence is not the word, pandemic is the word, but... Um, I think I was so confused for a moment. <laughs> no, no, no. Exigence is not the word. Pandemic is the word. Um, I don't think we'll ever tire of hearing the word exigence, but um, no. Um, one of the things I, I study is pandemics and COVID-19 is a huge exigence, which really does bear a dialogic response. Like we have to respond to this. Like we're called to do it. And I think part of that can be complaint specifically as part of the thing we talked about. And we don't need to argue that this is a horrible time to just exist right now in the middle of a pandemic. Like it's not fun, but being in a precarious place as a graduate student adds a whole different layer of terrible to it. And like Morgan was saying, the themes that were coming up in our discord that urge to complain, like that heavy feeling of like, something's wrong, like we need to say something. It just felt like that was our, that like this was our exigence to say something. So it just felt like it was the right time. Adding to what Emily just said, um, the pandemic was, you know, just this big factor that laid bare a lot of these inequities that uh, we were, um, we knew about it, but maybe that was not that obvious. And uh, I am an international student and here I was, you know, within my small community going through certain things. I don't know if um, everyone knows about it, but in summer of 2020, there was this uh, rule which um, uh, there was a temporary allowance of online classes for international students during the pandemic, which we are normally not allowed, but that rule was revoked. And that meant that uh, nearly a million international students in America would now have to attend class online, potentially exposing ourselves to unsafe conditions. And that was not at all inclusive because we were this one demographic which was forced to attend or get deported, but not others. And um, we were in a very, very difficult situation for a few days, for a few weeks, got a lot of support from my institution and institutions all over the country. But at that point, I remember thinking that this takes precarity to a very different level where I might have to leave everything and just leave. And that's how expendable I felt at that time. And being part of um, 
GSC and having these conversations, we all felt that this just added that another layer of, you know, these vulnerable conditions that graduate students are in. And I felt like a lot of people who supported us also weren't aware of these um, things. And if you know, at that time, there was also a lot of anti-Asian rhetoric and considering over 300,000 students in the US are from China, followed by India with like 160,000 students. That whole atmosphere for us um, was just very, very volatile and scary. And so uh, when um, I actually just checked, the CFP came out around June. And I think that's when we started talking about our focus article. And I was like, I, I need to talk about some of the vulnerabilities that this kind of small section of graduate students, like international students face. And I'm glad I got the space to talk about that. I think another big theme that was emerging was mentorship. I know a lot of us were kind of at these big transition moments in our programs, whether it was you know, for me, I was starting my comprehensive exams. I know other people were beginning their prospectuses, their dissertations, kind of wading through that, the job market, all these things, and just having that kind of support from each other, whether it was sharing documents or getting other ideas about their processes and things like that. That was a lot of things that we were realizing, wow, we don't, we don't always necessarily have access to the types of mentorship that we need to feel like we can succeed as graduate students, but at the same time, wanting to be mindful of the labor that is already being asked of people who are often in mentorship roles. So we were trying to hold multiple of these things at the same time. And I think some of these nuances is also what, what led us into wanting to flesh this out a little bit more in the article that we ended up writing. Let's talk about that article. I want to read a quote. I want to read a quote, and then I'd like for you to just respond to it. We can sit in the silence. You know how that goes. Quote, while working on this article, many of us discussed our experiences investing emotional labor and taking significant risks to voice concerns only to feel silenced, dismissed, or unheard. To be heard as making a tiresome complaint, Sarah Ahmed says, is to be heard as being tiresome, as distancing somebody from doing, quote, important work elsewhere, that quotes from Ahmed. Herein lies an issue for graduate students. If we voice our concerns, will we be read as tiresome, a bother, or a complainer? Do our individual collective identities allow us to voice concerns? Most importantly, will we be taken seriously, end quote. I had a mentor that said, Silence is a time to process. It's not awkward. But this particular section, I think, means so much to all of us, but especially Emily and myself, because we collaborated a lot on this area um, in building off of Ahmed's work. This is one of her newest books. And at the time, only the believe, introduction in chapter one was available through the press. Um, and we, we were very excited, I would say, to see something that mimicked um, our feelings and put into words so eloquently something that was also very difficult, I think, to voice and talk about. It was almost like we could lean on Ahmed's work as a way to voice what we were feeling. I see complaining or complaint as not only an act of catharsis, something that's very necessary, but I see it as almost an act of survival for graduate students in a way. The precarity of graduate students is so well known and so universally understood when you're in that lived moment or you've been a graduate student but yet it seems so quickly forgotten when somebody like exits the academy or maybe doesn't understand it or hasn't been in it or maybe even enters into like a tenure track job or when you get tenure, like it's just forgotten. But when you're in that moment and in that precarious state and complaining, that's a really real raw thing to go through. And it like, it makes your voice shake and it's like, speak confidently, even when your voice shakes, but it's scary. But like, I am, maybe this is me being on my soapbox, but I'm just so proud of students who are like 
speaking through that precarity and just standing up for themselves and regularly exercising their voices through their complaints or just like talking through systems where they're in that real dangerous precarity, even though it's working against them. So like, I think of the schools who've like recently formed unions, fought for their rights or higher pay, or like what happened over at Harvard recently with the, I don't know the details of it, but with the department that had that professor that was like not good. Um, and responding to those real, real difficult exigencies and speaking up like that's, that's precarity on the line. And like, I hope that our piece somehow like reached them. (laughs) I don't know if it did, but I would like to think that like somehow, somewhere like it did. So that's me rambling, but hopefully that reaches them. (laughs) We have a sort of call in that section too, especially, um, and we follow this kind of pattern throughout in each section of calling in voices. And we say that those who are in positions who are able to create change, to advocate for graduate students and so on, have to first believe graduate students. And so we include a a quote in here where we say um, from Ahmed, Ahmed says, "Can uh, to hear complaints can be to hear that silence, what is not being said, what is not being done, what is not being dealt with. And so we call in those, those people who are in privileged positions to act as allies in this work, to hear us, to listen to us, and to hopefully forward this this thinking to the proper channels that can actually create that change and advocate. Yeah, and to to build off of what Morgan and Emily have both said, I think that our reasons, and just thinking about the quote too, um, our reasons for writing this article are very personal um, and have come out of the experiences that we've had. And some of them we we reference a little bit um, and wish we could say, you know, wish we could say more, um, but that's kind of just more evidence of, of the situation that we find ourselves in as graduate students is that, um, and that I found myself in several times and which, which is why I was very, um, in my time as a graduate student, very focused on wanting to build up the, the GSC, um, but experiences where things have happened and you want to say something, but um, you've been cautioned not to uh, for different reasons. You, that might be, you know, someone could say something down the line that might affect your career or whether or not you get a job. Um, And so, you know, we've all had experiences like that. And I think this article too is a way for us to share that. And that's really what the GSC does too, is a way for us to share that because we each have different positionalities too that we're kind of you know operating from and that affects how we've experienced um precarity you know so being able to hear about you know Morgan's experiences and Megali's experiences you know is really important because they've experienced things that I haven't you know so um and I think it's important for everybody to kind of read those and um especially for for faculty too who are in you know more positions of power in some regards and also precarious in their own ways. Um, but for them to understand the things that, that we've, we've gone through and um, maybe working with us to kind of uh, make it easier for, for graduate students. Reading the piece, it's so clear that this is so deeply personal. I mean, for those that haven't encountered the piece, you write about yourselves, right? Perhaps one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful moment in the piece is this. Quote, if we want to sustain technical communication programs and accommodate the needs of an evolving U.S. higher education system, we must recognize and address the challenges faced by international graduate students and create support structures for them. End quote. I'd love to hear your responses. Yeah, so um, as someone who has been in multiple um, graduate programs across the country, um, you know, this this was 
personal and I would also like to say that I have also received a lot of support, but I do know that there is a general sense of, uh, I would say just a lack or limited awareness about certain um, additional factors or situation that international students have to face. Uh, and a lot of that is technical, like it has a lot to do with immigration issues. But um, I talk, I talked a little bit about, you know, the deportation factor with our visa status and things like that. There are so many things that international students can't. We cannot work more than 20 hours. We cannot work outside the university. So if we want to get extra experiences beyond our university, we can't do that. There are many grants we cannot apply to. We have to be very careful to stay within our visa status. Program administrators must also know how many online classes can they offer every semester if you have even one international student because we are not allowed to take more than one. Um, and so there are just so many, you know, programmatic things um, that I feel like administrators need to know about as they plan their courses. But also, I think Elena talked about mentorship, and I briefly mentioned it in my um, section two. Um, depending on your positionality, as well as some of, uh, you know, the, the culture and the country that you belong to, how you seek mentorship also could vary. Um, and so, you know, there's like this entire book on um, how certain people from people from certain countries are just expected to behave like model minorities. And uh, so because you are from a certain country, you don't need help or because of their own cultural values, they seek they have hesitancy in seeking mentorship. And so they just want to not talk, even like participating in classroom discussions. I know people who think that as rude who will not participate. So what are your participation policies as a faculty if you have, say, people from other cultures? There, and then there's this technological proficiency. Again, this varies from um, you know, country to country, and that makes it more complicated. But just because something is complicated and something is not homogenous, and I never want to you know, put all international students in one group, but just because this is complex does not mean that we should not bring those issues up. We should not address those issues issues, because by um, executing certain policies, you are sending the signal of whose voice matters. And if you have at least one international student in your program, and you think there's just one person, we don't really need to educate ourselves about it or accommodate their needs, you're sending the signal that their voice doesn't matter and their needs don't matter. And so my uh, goal about writing this, um, this particular section was to um, express solidarity with my fellow graduate students who are going through maybe other precarious conditions, but also lay some light on some of the issues that international students face. But we traditionally have been a little hesitant to express our concerns, mainly because of our visa status and some other conditions. And I hope that other international students have been able to identify with some of those things and our institutions can empathize with, uh, with the strain that the pandemic has caused us in terms of mental health, in terms of um, course delivery, in terms of class. I can kind of add to that too, because I mean, I, I really appreciate Magali, you sharing that and sharing that in the piece. And I think that that's kind of, again, goes back to what I was saying before, like this is really, the GSC is really a space for us to also like learn from each other because um, until I had heard Megali's story and also until I, I had been a part of um, University of Minnesota has like a graduate student council, which I think Emily is actually our representative now for from our department. Um, but I used to serve as our representative and hearing about international students um, there and their experiences as graduate students. And also there's someone else um, who used to be a part of the, the GSC, but um, I remember going through their final year of, of being a graduate student and the pressure that they felt to find a job um, because that was going to, you know, that's really wrapped up in, um, in the visa status and all, all of that um, and whether or not they stay in the country or not. I mean, that's, that's intense pressure and going through that during the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's so much, but I'm, I'm grateful that we get to share those stories here and then share them in this way through this piece. 
I think, too, that we want to participate in efforts to move conversations about what justice and equity and technical communication looks like beyond the inclusion um, and more just like genuine, actual like equity and representation and making sure that we're engaging in these very active um, efforts to to advocate for people and to to position ourselves as allies. So I think this is a part of that, not just to say that it's enough to have, for example, international students in our field, um, but to make sure that we're engaging in actual efforts for, for true inclusion. In, in your piece, you write it uh, clearly uh, in the beginning and at the end, you say, like, quote, our goal in this article is to begin a larger conversation centered on the positions of precarity we find ourselves. Then you go on and write, we invite faculty and program administrators to join us in this conversation and to act as allies in our ongoing work. What has been the response from your institutions, your programs, from CPTSC, from senior scholars who, in the field who, who need to follow your lead and, and practice allyship for graduate students? I will say that I, I think there is an opportunity that the GSC is hoping to, um, a space where the GSC is hoping to invite those voices in more and to really act as allies. Um, we are working together on a workshop for ATTW and furthering this work and on that platform. So because of this workshop formatting, um, we are hoping that that is an opportunity for more to get involved and learn and listen. And we also think it's a good opportunity to invite more graduate students in, which is what we're doing um, with our outreach. This isn't just for those who worked on this article, but um, we're forwarding this article in this space. So that, um, that venue will be a good opportunity, I think, for more to collaborate. We did have back in, I think it was October during the CPTSC conference, we did have a listening session that was based around this piece. And um, we had a great conversation with, where, you know, with faculty members or different members of CPTSC. I mean, CPTSC has been really great in giving us that space or that platform um, to, to invite others in and to have a conversation. And that went really well. And I think that's kind of part of our inspiration for maybe for ATTW and, and a workshop that might do some of that work. But there are, um, the conversations that we had have been great. And we just want to keep building that up and building up that momentum. I like to think of myself as a advocate for graduate students, but I think what you all are teaching me is that there's even more I can do, you know, and I think that that's what's important about your piece. So I wonder, what do you hope that folks who hear this podcast and seek out your work, right, or that maybe they just come across it and they never hear the podcast, but what do you hope people take up and take away from this piece? I really like the quote that we had written that says, after all, it should not be the case that support from those who are more established is necessary for a complaint to be heard. Um, and that's from Ahmed. And so I'm hoping that with this piece and whatever capacity it comes across, that there might be a pause after and a reflection moment, and then maybe a questioning of what can I do in the capacity that I'm in, you know, because I, I think we all recognize that um, people are in very, very different positions in their varying institutions and such. And so um, to ask the same for every single, say, faculty member would be unfair. But within their roles, what is their ability in acting as an ally and reflecting on what is being written in this piece? I think that's my big takeaway here. I would say mine comes from the end of that section where it's like, really hear us. And there's a difference, as we know as communicators, between just like hearing 
and like italicized hearing, like listening to us. So when a graduate student, and again, like Morgan said, it depends like what position you're in, like what, how many spoons you have, like what's on your plate, what's going on. If a graduate student approaches you and says, I need to talk, or I have, I I have to talk to you, like I have to complain about something, like really hear them out. Because when somebody in that precarious of a position approaches you, there's a lot of emotional energy that went into that moment. Cause it's a really, even if it's like a mundane ish thing, there's a lot that goes into that. So it's like, just really hear us out. Like something's up, just listen. And if it's a really severe complaint, like do what you can to advocate. Like you don't necessarily have to solve the problem for us, but just like really, really be there for us because we are going through it in some degree, like just be there for us as best you can. So that's what I hope. I feel like, you know, when I was writing this piece also um, related to my research too, I just feel like it is sometimes difficult to empathize with individuals who are uh, either from a different background or, you know, who haven't had the same experiences we've had. I would just like our readers and listeners here in this case would attempt to try to understand some of these conditions, things which might be very, very different, a place which might be very different from what you're used to, but at least try to maybe educate themselves a little more and then empathize with um, certain underrepresented uh, groups of students in your class. And I really like what Morgan said of pausing, reflecting, and then questioning within your roles of whether you're faculty or a program administrator, whatever you can do within your role, because even that slightest action of empathy is going to mean so much. And I'll quickly add a little note, when that incident had happened in summer, a few of my professors had sent me a small note, a small message, at least three or four of them had sent it, that we hear you, we are working on this. And that moment when I was just like in tears, I'm like, oh my God, I have to leave my cat, I have to leave my car, what's going to like, what's going to happen to me now? Does that knowing that, okay, no, there were people, you know, working on this to support us, that little gesture means so much. So I hope that, you know, we have more people doing that. I think along those lines too, something that, that people can do is reach out to graduate students, you know, at conferences, ask how things are going or, you know, in your program, ask how things are. And if, you know, if things are going well, if there's any concerns or things like that, because even just that little act of invitation can really make people feel more safe, you know, make the environment one that's more conducive to sharing and can really help us begin to open that conversation. Yeah. And to build, to build from that and maybe kind of ending in terms of, of takeaways, I, I think that um, what I would like listeners or readers to do is I think reflect to as Morgan said pause and reflect but reflecting on their positionalities and their own levels of precarity and I think too the way that precarity is embedded so much within academia like all the way up even Um, and so I think reflecting on that and also to Magali's point it's important to um think find small ways. I think there's small ways to support graduate students. It doesn't have to be um, some huge, you know, change, but I think small things can just show, you know, even if you're not able to say something outright as a faculty member, um, reaching out and showing that. And I think we often might ignore those small like ways of advocating for others, but those are really, really important. Um, So I think that would be um, what I would say I would want people to take away. So what's next? You know, that academic question, right? So what's next? Um, this could be a time for you to talk about your future research and teaching plans individually. It could be a time to talk about the future of the CPTSC, uh, careers, I, wide open, whatever you want to share. What's next for you? Okay, so uh, for my dissertation, um, I study the user experience of underrepresented students, like international students, in online class environments um, by applying user experience research methodologies 
um, and mainly to identify learner needs and then hopefully make some recommendations on creating culturally inclusive um, as well as equitable classroom practices. And so right now, um, like I said, uh, I'm still at a fairly early stage of my dissertation, but I'm hopefully um, you know, going to be start working on my IRB soon and then move on to data collection and analysis and then hope to continue this research uh, even you know, when I'm no longer a graduate student and then hope to get a job uh, here in the US. What's next is always such a loaded question, isn't it? But I do think with the GSC, especially, um, we are actively recruiting. We want grad students to be a part of this. We want to continue um, into the very far future when, you know, all of us who are here today are no longer grad students, right? We want to see this continue. Um, Elena will be joining me at the end of the semester as co chair as we unfortunately say goodbye to Caitlin though it is so we wish we could have everyone here forever right um because it's wonderful we really created a a great community here for myself I'm in a similar position as Magali where um working on the proposal or prospectus and I'm situating myself in surveillance studies and tech com. So I'm right at that intersection looking at biometric technologies um, and really urging people to consider how biometric technologies have been implemented and normalized in our lives. Um, and so I won't say too much more about that study um, just because I am in those let's say beginning stages, but that is where my work will be headed. I think I'll always be a surveillance scholar. I love it so much. I am in a similar position. I am also in that weird limbo zone in between like exam work and prospectus dissertation work. Um, my research is um, looking at the way um, higher ed institutions um, communicate about pandemics. And it did come about because of COVID-19. I thought it was really interesting exigence to respond to. So I specifically look at all the emails that come out of various universities, but I'm focused on the University of Minnesota because it is here and it's what I'm used to. But I am hoping to jump into a project that uses tactical, technical communication and human-centered design approaches to build a better pandemic response. Um, so I can't get too into the weeds about it yet, but hopefully we can build better responses and be better prepared for inevitable pandemics in the future. But um, after that, I am thinking I might do a return to industry and take things with me as I go and use some of those tactics and some poaching, if you shall, <laughs> take them with me and do awesome things in industry with tech comm and human-centered design. But I love teaching too. I really, really love students. So I might do some adjunct work on the side as well. So I don't lose my love for students and keep abreast of the methods as well. So I think that's where I'll go in the next few years, but I got a dissertation to do. So I got to finish that love first. <laughs> I think for me, I'm really excited to take on the role of co-chair with Morgan um, a little bit later this year. I think, you know, Caitlin and Danielle have set us up so well for, for the work um, that we're doing. So I'm really excited about that is, you know, that and everything to come with that. Um, that being said, right now I'm working on my dissertation, which looks at patient narratives on social media as a form of technological and technical expertise. So I think this piece also really got me interested in thinking about how people who are not traditionally thought of as experts communicate information um, and kind of what the implications of words like expertise are, especially in a field that is so heavily reliant on the word expertise to determine how information travels and who it travels to. So I'm really looking forward to, to you know, still get moving with that. I'm just in the beginning stages of that project, um, but I'm really looking forward to, to data collection and all the things that's to come with it. I am, I guess in terms of the, the GSC, similar to what Morgan had said, I mean, I'm excited to see this all keep going. Um, and, you know, I won't be able to 
well, I won't be a graduate student after, after this semester. Um, but I think the GSC has been the thing that I've been able to do that I've been the most proud of, honestly, um, and most interested in and excited about um, in terms of all of the things I've done um, in my time as a graduate student. And so I'm excited to see it keep going. I'm excited to have more opportunities, you know, the rest of the semester to, you know, continue building things up and getting more people involved. We've been having so many more people join us on our Discord. So we encourage everyone to, if you're interested, to, to reach out. Um, for myself, personally, I have to uh, finish with my dissertation. Um, and my dissertation is really focused on uh, professionals who work with social media in a mental health advocacy nonprofit and looking more at making visible the types of labor that they that they are um, engaging in um, and just more about what social media work looks like surrounding mental health messaging. Um, and so finishing up that and and trying to I think keep um, keep my interests in industry and, and also in academia um, going and you know, finding ways to to keep up the work that we've been doing in the GSC, you know, advocating for graduate students, how I can keep doing that um, in different roles that I might have. It was a treat to talk to you all. It was a treat to meet you all, right? Because I see you on social media, some of you. I know the work you're doing in terms of your scholarship. And so this uh, was my treat. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me, everyone. Thank you so much, Charles. We appreciate it. And we appreciate this platform. my interview with the CPTSC Graduate Student Committee. These folks are doing outstanding, important, critical work to support graduate students. They are opening conversations about the precarity of graduate students, conversations that need to be had in our field and in others. Keep up the good work, GSC. I'll be back next week with another new interview on the Big Rhetorical Podcast, episode 99. Can you believe it? Until then, always be listening rhetorically. The Big Rhetorical Podcast is produced by Exalt Digital Media, Exalt Digital Media, not for profit. This podcast was recorded on the sacred lands of the Tuscarora people. And we recognize and respect the people of the Kahari, Eastern Band of Cherokee, Haliwa Saponi, Meheran, Okanichi, Band of Saponi, Saponi, and Waccamaw Suen. Music for the Big Rhetorical Podcast is brought to you by DJ Lang, Stefa Helix, and Kara Square. <laughs>